Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to get into, could Putin be failing because of a lack of democracy? That's the title of my op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com. I'll get to that in just a moment. Also, is Putin celebrating in uh, Moscow this uh, North Korean-style rally? Or is it more of a uh, Trump-style rally? You know, or are they the same thing? Also on the program today, our old friend Joe Madison is going to drop by for a half hour to talk about his new book. It's his autobiography, and it's remarkable. It's, in fact, it's got a blurb from me in it. It's called Radioactive, a memoir of advocacy and action on the air and in the streets. And Joe has been everywhere and seen everything, as they say, and we'll, we'll be talking about that. Also, Roger Stone has a plan to put Donald Trump back in the White House without being elected. I'll tell you about that. Trekkie alerts. Stacey Abrams appears in Star Trek as the president of Earth. I'll tell you about that. So, you know, a lot to talk about today. But first, I wanted to just share with you my rant from uh, HartmanReport.com this morning titled, Could Putin Be Failing Because of a Lack of Democracy? And, you know, there's so many people asking this question. You know, why did Putin make this insanely stupid decision to attack Ukraine? He apparently genuinely believed that his soldiers would be greeted with flowers, which, by the way, has parallels to America and, and Iraq. And I think that the same problem is, is what's playing out here, but I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, how did he miss this? How did he, how did he make a decision that is going to, you know, destroy his reputation for all of history and damage, badly damage his own country? Whether he wins or loses, I mean, whether he takes Ukraine or not, and it's increasingly looking like he won't. So some people have suggested that the reason why is because Putin has surrounded himself with yes men. And, you know, there's some pretty good evidence that he absolutely has, in fact, particularly that front, frontline documentary. Um, I put the YouTube clip of it, embed it right into the story at Hartman Report. And you can watch it. It's only three and a half minutes. And it's just shocking where Putin is saying, well, do you think I should invade Ukraine? And his head of intelligence gets up and says, well, you know, there, there are issues. 
And Putin says, yes or no? And oh, yes, yes, sir. Yes, please. Oh, please don't kill me. This is the guy that Putin ordered arrested yesterday. This uh, frontline documentary is from like two weeks ago, the two and a half, almost three weeks ago now. So that's one theory, that it's all yes men. Number, uh, the second theory is that uh, the failure of his invasion to win was because he's privatized I mean, this was, you know, Milton Friedman's neoliberalism. Privatize all your functions, right? It's, you know, turn, turn everything over to big corporations. And so they've got, Russia has their equivalent of a military industrial complex. It's, if you, can, if you can imagine, it's even more corrupt than the one here in the United States. And these oligarchs have been skimming money off the top to the point that the head of the Ukrainian National Agency on Corruption Prevention, a guy, the director, his name is Alexander Novikov, um, sent a special message to Russia's defense minister, Shoigu, thanking him for having sent tanks into battle. And instead of having metal armor around the sides of them, they have egg cartons. Hey, it looks great in photographs. And instead of uh, the soldiers wearing bulletproof vests with ceramic or metal in them, they're made with cardboard. No kidding. So that's uh, another theory. Another theory is that you know, Putin's simply gone mad or his brain has been addled by COVID. And uh, you know, uh, there are people pointing to the fact that he won't let anybody get more than 30 feet from him and all this kind of stuff as, as proof of that. I think the answer is much simpler than any of these things. Or you could argue that all of these things are symptoms of the real answer, the much larger answer. And that is that Russia is failing for a lack of democracy that Putin is failing because of a lack of democracy. I mean, seriously, and, and people would ask, you know, can it really be that simple? I mean, we're the founders of this republic and the founders of every country that has followed our lead and become a democracy since the 1780s. Could they have been that brilliant? Or is it that just like intrinsic and core to our humanity that democracy always works better? And my assertion is that the answer is yes. And, and you know, let me build the case here. Uh, th this word didn't exist back when the Constitution was written, but what democracy essentially is, is crowdsourcing. I mean, the idea of crowdsourcing is that the greater the number of inputs, the greater the number of eyeballs on a problem, the more likely you are to have an honest and factual response. Aristotle wrote about this in Politics. I mean, he just explicitly said it. He, he said that it is more proper for the multitude to be sovereign than just than than the few of greatest virtue. And then he goes by and he goes through and explains why. Even if you've got the very best people, they can't govern as well as everybody. Back in 1906, Sir Francis Galton tried a famous experiment where uh, he was at a county fair and they had an ox that had been butchered and dressed. So there's this giant pile of meat and bones, right? And he asked, uh, you know, random passers-by at this county fair to guess the weight of this pile of meat. 787 people during the course of the, of the fair. I don't know how long it lasted, probably a few days. The median guess, Galton carefully recorded every single one of those 787 guesses. The median guess was that the ox weighed 1,197 pounds. When they were all done, they weighed it and it weighed 1,198 pounds. The crowd was off by one pound. And scales being what they were back then, it might have actually been that the crowd was right and the scales were wrong. This wisdom of the crowd is why we have juries. 
when things involve, you know, life or death issues or freedom or, you know, putting, putting somebody in jail. It's why companies ask for customer feedback so that they can do rapid course correction. It's why we look at the reviews, the ratings of the crowd when we're thinking about buying a product online. It's why we look to and have faith in crowdsourced products. Yes, they have their flaws, but, uh, and, and some of them have been corrupted somewhat, but nonetheless, at its core, we know that you know, the, early, uh, the earlier crowdsourced versions of Linux and Firefox and, and, and the current version of Wikipedia are you know, generally fairly reliable. It's also why every advanced democracy in the world, except America, makes it super easy to vote because they want the majority of people to participate in the democracy and then you're going to have elections that actually make sense. Putin's Russia though, I mean Russia was a democracy for a couple of years. I, I was in Kaliningrad in 1999 when the, when the first election was held, when Boris Yeltsin was elected. It was an actual democratic, small d democratic election. I mean, you know, within a couple of years, Putin, who, you know, Yeltsin basically picked um, you know, had taken over, and that was kind of the end of that. But it was the end of that because of the so-called neoliberal reforms that we put in place, or that we helped them put in place, the whole Milton Friedman, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush um, thing that Bill Clinton even got in on the act on in the, in the era between 1991 when the Berlin Wall fell and 1994 when, when uh, you know, Ukraine gave up their missiles and Russia was really seriously making the transition. So what you have now is, you know, Russia made the transition from a communist nation to a democracy that lasted for a year or so, a couple of years, to a oligarchy as a result of neoliberalism, as a result of Reaganism, and from there to a strongman dictatorship. And Strongman dictators have a long, long history going all the way back to the Caesars of making stupid decisions that hurt them and their countries. And sure enough, there, there it is. And there's a lesson in this for us. We've got a Republican Party that has fully embraced not only neoliberalism, but also authoritarianism. They are congratulating people for political violence like January 6th and supporting racialized violence all the attacks on BLM and all this other stuff. This is all like, this is the, the mother's milk of the Republican Party now. And the result of that is that, and, and they're trying to suppress the vote. And the result of that is that we're having less and less democracy. You know, somebody on, on Twitter this morning after reading my article said, well, yeah, but you know, uh, we don't have a democracy here either. Look at, you know, George W. Bush lying us into the war in Iraq. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is, this is the Supreme Court put George W. Bush into office. When the, when the Florida Supreme Court said, let's recount the vote, and this was you know, obviously after Jeb Bush had removed the names of 90,000 African Americans in Florida from the voting rolls because there were felons in Texas with similar names. So the election was rigged. Um, you know, of course, we ended up with George Bush and, and we ended up with terrible decision making because he figured, hey, no matter what I do, I'm, 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 I'm in charge. Remember when George W. Bush said it would be a whole lot easier if, 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 I, if I were a dictator? Or if, this, or if America was a dictatorship, just so long as I get to be the dictator, which he thought was a punchline, a joke. We've got to confront, not, we have to understand that it's authoritarianism that comes out of neoliberalism 
that has destroyed or that is in the process of destroying Russia and Putin's presidency. And that that very same authoritarianism or a, a, a slightly milder strain of it, but the, essentially at its core, the same thing is what brought Donald Trump into the White House. And had he stayed in the White House for another four years, would have ended democracy in the United States. And we need to build the guardrails. We need to build the protections. We need to return to democracy. And, you know, frankly, one of the main obstacles right now to that is the Supreme Court asserting that oligarchy is just fine, thank you very much. And when oligarchs own politicians, that's their right. We now have, you know, now it's out in the open. Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin are getting money from the right-wing billionaires who fund the Republican Party. It's right out there. This is the kind of stuff that destroys democracies. Just to put a fine point on my my sharing the story of Putin's big uh, uh, Coliseum rally or stadium rally. Um, is he learning this from Kim Jong-un? I mean, this is like North Korea. Did Trump learn this from these guys? Is there, uh, is there a consistent pattern here? I think so, frankly. And now uh, all over the internet, Sean was just sharing with me a, a bunch of um, uh, tweets and speculation. Apparently, at one point, Putin's hand kind of went through the microphone, and and I, when he mentioned that it was the eighth anniversary of the seizure of of Crimea, suddenly his mic went silent. And you know, there, there's uh, apparently gremlins in the system, and you know, a lot, there's a lot of speculation about what's going on. But this is, I just want to make it very clear: this is what Donald Trump and the Republican Party tried to bring us in 2020. And had they won that election, had Republicans con continued to control, had they taken control of the House, the Senate, and, and continue to hold the White House, we would be going down the road that Putin is already, you know, two decades into. And in some ways, we still are. Our Supreme Court is rigged. It has, it has you know, uh, actively inserted itself into, into uh, systems that should protect our democracy. The, uh, the decision to gut, the multiple decisions actually, but Shelby County in particular, decision to gut the Voting Rights Act, the, the weakening of the Civil Rights Act, the massive multiple weakenings of the Wagner Act, the, the right to unionize. Um, they, I, all of these things, the, the, the Citizens United asserting that billionaires can just you know, pour money down on politicians and that's all good, thank you very much. These are all symptoms of a democracy in crisis. Just like Putin's behavior and failures is a symptom of a nation that has lost its democracy. We are on the edge of that and we need to take this very seriously. So, end of rant, let me pick up your phone calls. Bill in Kaw City, Oklahoma. Hey Bill, how's Oklahoma today, what's up? I'm doing fine. Really cool and rainy here today. Mm -hmm. Hey, Tom, I've called before. I am pushing 80 years old. I've been around long enough to experience war after war after war. In my lifetime, there have been a very few times that this country has not been at war. Yeah. My son served in Iraq, my brother in Vietnam. Countless numbers of my families started the Revolutionary War on through both sides. Uh, I'm, I'm native ancestry as well, so 
the longest war in history started in 1675 with the King Philip's War on American Indians and didn't end until 1890 with a surrender. It wounded knee. Mm. So that was, uh, you know, they say Afghanistan's America's longest war. It has not been. I mean, that, right. that's 300 years yeah. of war. Yeah. Now, I wanted to talk about Ukraine. Mm. I'm dealing with my son and my brother with PTSD. Their biggest heartache, their biggest conscience bothering them about the wars was the death of the civilians. Mm-hmm. I wonder how the honor out of capitulation has gone away. It used to be a common practice and for the sake of women and children, for a country to, when they see overwhelming odds, way back, I mean, when you have overwhelming odds against you for the sake of your women and children, you capitulate. Now, America has always somehow been where we want to hand uh, weapons of this, that, and the other to other countries, you know, and with the... Bill, are you saying that the Ukrainians should just say, okay, Russia, have your way, rather than shipping their women and children out of the country and and staying to fight? Is Is that your argument here, Bill? Well, I, in that way, you know, I look at the Iraq war. You did a wonderful job during that time of bringing to, uh, to people's attention what was going on. After 30 or 20 years or 10 years in Iraq, is it a democracy today? Not, not After 20 not years in Afghanistan, and is it a democracy no, but today? Neither, no, but you can't, you can't yeah. impose a democracy with a war. And, and, I, don't, and exactly. I think that if you're trying to draw an analogy between that and, and Ukraine, it is, to say the very least, imperfect. You know, the Ukrainians are not going to back down. And they are trying to protect their civilians. They're doing the best they can to protect their civilians. But they're not going to back down. And, and Putin's going to eat this thing. I'm telling you, Bill. Bill, i got to run, but thank you for the call. I'm just not, you know, Bill, respectfully, I'm not with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I I just don't think that it's time to just turn Ukraine over to Russia. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Oh, I wanted to just uh, share a couple of other quick stories with you here. Is Putin celebrating with a North Korean style rally or is uh, or a Trump styled rally. This is an amazing story. I mean, it's just just amazing. We were watching Putin celebrating the uh, Ukraine massacre with a, a Korean style rally. It was the thir- 23rd day of the attack and it was held in Moscow's Lushinki Stadium, which hosted the 2018 World Cup. Reports indicate there were 130,000 people in the stadium. Several foreign reporters still in Moscow write on Twitter that many of the participants are state employees who were taken from work and transported by bus. Others were taken directly off the street and forcibly brought to the event. At the stadium, people are watching a video with burning Ukrainian flags. The presenters of the event wear jackets with the letter Z inscribed on their chest, which is weirdly, because Zelensky's name starts with Z, a symbol of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Some of them came to the stadium with pictures of Putin on it. Guardian reporters write the students and state employees were forced to attend or told that they would be paid extra or given the day off to join the rally at the 80,000 seat stadium. And in fact, reports on social media show that the vast majority of the crowd is paid. People were being paid between 300 and 1400 rubles. Anyhow, picking up your phone calls here, D in Seattle. Hey D, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Uh, I was watching Oliver Stone's documentary on Putin, which was kind of interesting at this time. They were showing footage, different archival kind of footage, showing things like uh, Senator McCain, I guess it was during the coup or government change, um, and he literally labeled the figures he was standing on a stage with on camera as NATO neo-Nazis. And in a way, can you enlighten me, or do you know anything about the Nazification or New World Order playing a part in this, or any clarity? No, but I don't. I don't. I have uh, little regard for Oliver Stone as a historian. You know, he's a movie maker, and he's a movie maker with a, uh, in my opinion, a heavily pro-Russia bias. Yes, but it was real footage, though. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there have certainly been times throughout our history where where, uh, you know, those kind of things have, have shaken out. I have not seen it, though, so it's, it's hard for me to comment on it. And I don't know Oliver Stone personally. I know his son. I knew his son quite well, but I'm not a fan of that kind of work. Yeah. And, and it, the same thing with his JFK movie. Uh, you know, it was, you know, his whole conspiracy theory that it was the CIA yeah. that did it. It's so easy to punch holes in it. Have you heard anything about it being brought up, the idea of Nazification and wh- how it's relevant in this situation at all? Well, this is this is Russia's sales pitch. Russia's sales pitch is that Nazis took over Ukraine, and that's why they elected a Jewish guy whose grandfather was a Holocaust survivor as president. Yeah. Which you know, I mean, just try to wrap your head around that one for a moment. There was you know after Stalin starved four million Ukrainians to death. You know, in the 1930s, in the yeah, in the in the 30s, as I recall, yeah. in the 1940s, when the Germans invaded, there were a lot of Ukrainians who took up arms with the Nazis against the Russians, who had just oh, really? starved four million Ukrainians to death, and yeah. forced them to export their wheat to Russia and left them nothing to eat. 
So yeah, there were Ukrainians who were fighting on the side of the Nazis. To say that today, I mean, yes, there's a right-wing movement in Ukraine, just like there is here in the United States. I mean, we've got Nazis. We literally have Nazis in our streets with swastikas. Oh yeah. It's not. It's not unique. And then the other, the other thing is a Trekkie alert. Trekkie alert, my friends. Yes, indeed. Stacey Abrams boldly goes to Star Trek. Star Trek Discovery, they're in the fourth season. It's the finale of Star Trek Discovery over on Paramount Plus. And in that series, the uh, United Earth had, su- had uh, seceded from the Galactic United Federation of Planets after this catastrophe, this catastrophic event known as the Great Burn that spanned the galaxy. And now in this series, in this show, and it's not a cameo, this is a full starring role, the president of Earth makes their way to the Starfleet base and requests to rejoin the Union. The president of Earth, Stacey Abrams. She pre- <laughs> she's a Trekkie. She previously co-hosted Trek the Vote to Victory, an event for Joe Biden back two years ago or a year and a half ago, which included Sir Patrick Stewart, LeVar Burton, and George Takai. The producer of the show, the current show, said we didn't want her to be just a cameo. It was a proper role. There's just something that made us think, well, of course she can do it. And she did. She just blew us away. Who knew? Stacey Abrams, politician, activist, actor, Trekkie. My colleague Joe Madison, uh, who hosts a a program from 6 to 10 a.m. on uh, Sirius XM Urban View, right here on the same network, but just down one, I think one click down on the channel uh, line, uh, has uh, not only have Joe and Sherry uh, introduced Louise and I to some of the coolest restaurants in Washington, D.C., not only have we traveled the world together, but this is a guy who has just an amazing life story, and he's got a new book out. It's basically an autobiography. It's called Radioactive by Joe Madison, the great Joe Madison. Joe, welcome, welcome back to the program. It's always so great to have you with us. Brian, I have one question before we get started. I have always wanted to ask you this question. Okay. The music for your opening. Right. Where did that come from? The back years ago, there was an activist by the name of Jack Riley, who was good friends of mine. He, he published a newsletter called Germany Alert about the rise of fascism in Germany. And his partner was a guy named Jens Mueller, who was a German who lived in East Berlin. Um, who was a musician. And when we started the show in 2003, I needed music that I didn't have to pay somebody for. And I was commiserating with Jack about it. Jack had been the producer for the Beach Boys and had been the producer for Prince. And a long story there. But so Jack said, well, Jay can do it. Jens, Jens Mueller, he went by the stage name of Jay, just the letter J. And so Jay wrote that produced it, did it, performed it himself, and gave it to us with all rights. That's where the music came from. I always wanted to know that because it's, you know, it's you. I mean, you know, when you, I don't care where you are, in the car, wherever you hear it. Oh, here comes Tom. I uh, thank you. That answers the question, and now the world knows. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, thanks, Joe. So, Joe Madison, okay. you got a new book out. It's called Radioactive, a memoir of democracy in action on the air and in the streets. And there's there are so many great stories in here. I, I'd like to start, though, with why you weren't on our show yesterday. You were over at the White House? We had, they had, uh, no, no, uh, let me, uh, initially they, um, Steny Hoyer, who, who, was, who asked if I would come to the Capitol, and, and, and he said that we're going to sign the 
the uh, uh, Emmett Till uh, anti-lynching bill. And so I thought it was going to be a, a bill signing by uh, the president. Well, what it turned out to be, and something I wasn't aware of, they they have a, a, what they call the, uh, what is it, the en- enrollment signing. The enrollment signing. And that's where the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, has an event with several members of Congress who sponsored the bill and were key in getting it passed, uh, where she signs it. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's set up just like it's the president signing it, but the Speaker of the House signs it first. And then they kick and it over to the White House. That's right. So they call it enrollment signing. Mm-hmm. And they don't do it, you, you can imagine, Tom, they don't do it for every bill because there's you know, hundreds of bills. But there, this one was very special because, as you know, and, and, and we've all worked in coalition to pull this off, uh, it took over 100 years and 250 tries by the United States Congress to get a, a, a bill, an, an anti-lynching bill passed. Uh, and uh, she wanted to make it a very a special occasion. And then Steny Hoyer asked if I would uh, if I would join them. So I had the the pleasure of being with uh, Bobby Rush, uh, who's retiring from uh, Chicago. He he is the one who sponsored the bill. And then Benny Thompson came in, uh, and also Joyce uh, Beatty, who uh, who is um, uh, the head of the Congressional Black caucus she was there along with Stinny Stinny Hoyer yeah it, 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 uh, you, you sent me a picture of it. It looked great. And uh, it's just, you know, what an honor. I mean, uh, talk about the anti-lynching bill and the background of this. Why, why is it that it took us over 100 years to get this piece of legislation signed? Well, as you can imagine, uh, if you think about 100 years ago, there'd be no way uh, that Dixiecrats would, uh, would sign it. Now, they would have, you know, when they lynch people, oftentimes they'd have picnics. Uh, and I'm not kidding. Oh, they know. would have picnics and take, and you've seen these photographs. There's a museum uh, that that uh, is dedicated to those lives, thousands of people whose lives were lynched, black, white, otherwise. Uh, they would have picnics. They would uh, they would actually sell body parts uh, from the uh, lynching victims, um, and then of course Emmett Till. Was, uh, because Bobby Rush uh, represents the district that Emmett Till and his mother uh, lived in, uh, but they 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 uh, you know it was it was just something that that they you know they just could not get enough votes a hundred years before. I mean, you have to understand. You know, we know what America's been like uh, for the past uh, one hundred years. But here's the good news. Um, the bill passed in the House by all but three votes. And, uh, you know, you can look. I don't have the names right now. One Congress Republican was from Texas. I forget the names. I have them written down here. Um, and then in the, in the Senate, it, they, they kept passing it. They kept passing on it. And the person who initially objected was... <laughs> Rand Paul from um, 
Kentucky. Oh, what a shock. And it could have, it, it could have passed, it could have passed last year when, you know, when Bobby Rush introduced it. But he kept, he, he objected. And, um, you know, we have on, you know, we, 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 and, and so the, that, that, it finally passed, uh, uh, unanimously in the Senate. It passed unanimously in the Senate. And so, um, uh, now it goes to the president for his signature, and I'm hoping, uh, and I know Steny Hoy is pushing for this, uh, that the president will have a bill signing ceremony. And Tom and everybody, I hope he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as uh, Nancy Pelosi pointed out, it should never have taken 100 years uh, for this uh, to become law. So it, it, in essence, it federally makes lynching a hate crime. So mm-hmm. imagine if those if those uh, insurrectionists uh, on January 6th had successfully lynched uh, the, the vice president, Pence, at that time, and there had been an anti-lynching law, uh, they would have been charged uh, based on this federal law. With a federal, with a federal crime. Fascinating. We're talking with... Yeah, with a federal, yeah that's right. With yeah. a federal, that's right. Yeah, we're talking, right. we're talking with Joe Madison. He's got a new book out. It's called Radioactive, a memoir of advocacy and action on the air and in the streets. We'll be right back with Joe in just a second. This is uh, just some, there's some wonderful, amazing stories in here that I want Joe to share with you. You're in it. I'm in, in it. I know I am. I know I am. We'll get to that too. We'll be right back in just a moment. Joe Madison, the book is it's called Radioactive. You can find it wherever you can find good, you know, great books. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And, of course, uh, Joe's website, joemadison.com. You can find him on Sirius XM, Urban View channels, uh, Channel 126, 6 to 10 a.m. Madison Sirius XM is his Twitter handle. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
Joe, your story of growing up in Dayton and this whole kind of being introduced to the idea of blockbusting, this was so, so personal, so, so, you know, very real for you. It's something that, you know, the, you and I are about the same age. For me at that time, it was kind of an abstract concept. Can you tell us about that? Tell us your story about that. The story was, uh, was a, a, a mortician, uh, his name, Clarence Bowman, who was, you know, uh, and, you know, because in those days, you know, morticians, doctors, maybe lawyers, uh, they were the folks who, you know, had successful businesses. But Clarence Bowman uh, was a family friend and of the a friend of the family. And he moved into a predominantly white neighborhood. He was the first uh, black family to move into this neighborhood. And he um, uh, made, he, he, he was interviewed about it. And one of the things he said was, I don't want any black person to move on the same block with me. I want, if you, and, and so black people in the community got angry with him, you know, like he was some kind of snob. Like, mm -hmm. you, what are you talking about? And he went on to explain it. He said, no, move on the next block. And then and, and the next family move on a, a block over. Because what they did in those days, we don't talk about it now, but they had something called block busting. So, uh, so what would happen Real estate agents would would uh, would would sell to families that moved into black families that moved into the neighborhood, and they would move them all on the same block. Then they would call white families and their neighbors and say, "You might want to sell now because black people are moving into your neighborhood, yeah. and the value of your home will go down." And, 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 and so he was, he, what he was saying was, you know, don't let that happen because right. that's nothing more than blockbusting. And, uh, and, and so I always re, re, uh, remember that that, that was a, that was true. That happened. Yeah. I, I, you know, I remember in 1981 when we moved from uh, New Hampshire down to Atlanta, Georgia. And Louise went down alone to, to meet a real estate agent. And the real estate agent's first question was, do you want a black, do you want a, a mixed neighborhood or an all white neighborhood? And Louise's answer was, I want a different real estate agent. I mean, and there you go. I, I, me, I, honest I, to God, true story. The, yeah. I think in the book, Tom, um, when I moved in, when I moved from Dayton to Detroit, uh, we moved into a a, a, a quote unquote mixed neighborhood, but you know this was in the uh, mid seventies, right. and um, we had uh, we had two white neighbors on each side of us. Yeah, that and, is in the book. And, the real, and so we started getting calls after we moved in with the real estate agent who said, uh, "You got black folks moving into your neighborhood. Would you like to sell?" <laughs> I thought it was funny how you, you, you played them along, too. You, you tell that story in the book. It's brilliant.
back. We're talking with the great Joe Madison, the host of the, uh, the Joe Madison program, The Joe Madison Show on Sirius XM, channel 126, 6 to 10 a.m., human rights and civil rights activist, author of the new book, Radioactive, a memoir of advocacy in action on the air and in the streets. Joe, you and I, uh, you've been to Sudan, South Sudan, a number of times, uh, you and Sherry. Uh, uh, my son uh, and I uh, joined you guys, uh, along with Ellen Ratner and a few other people, on one of those trips, which was just mind-boggling, eye-opening to me. But in your book, you not only tell the story of that, and thanks for, you know, for mentioning that I was there with you, but you also talk about how you kind of got into a kerfuffle with the Nation of Islam about this. Uh, t- tell us about this. Well, they were, in essence, supporting the uh, Sudan government. And, and of course, the war between the rebels in southern Sudan, which they were seeking independence. You know, as you now know, uh, Sudan, South Sudan is the newest and youngest country. And the nation of Islam actually really was very angry with anybody who supported the rebels and the independent effort of then southern Sudan. And, you know, know, it is what it is. One of the people who did go also, he didn't travel with us, was Al Sharpton. I asked Al Sharpton if he would go, like you and other talk personalities and people who had a media platform, and Al did go. And what they went after Al, they went after me. I can tell you that the government of Sudan had actually wanted us dead or alive. There were actually, oh yeah, there were flyers put up. The other person who went, and I can always thank him, was former Congressman Walter Fontroy. Mm -hmm. And then we started, you know, seeing what they call, I guess, wanted posters, dead or alive on the internet. Yeah, that was very, very real. That was a while ago. Uh, right. um, very real. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, now, I'm not, now, now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't the Nation of Islam that put out it. This no, was it's... the government of Sudan. Yeah, but Sure. Uh, what was yeah, his name, yeah, right? Sure's people, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Was, this was them. Yeah. 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 Uh, you also talk in the book about the CIA and, uh, you know, Gary Webb's research into the whole crack epidemic thing and, and how yeah. that ties back into Iran-Contra and, and your role in, in, in uh, you know, basically talking about this uh, to an America that had no idea. You want to riff on that a little bit? Well, you know, real quick, you remember when the story came out, when the Mercury News, the San Jose Mercury News. Yep. And it was a series that um, Gary did. And I picked it up. I was working for another a, a talk station in D.C. And I said, this is crazy. And, and I remember quickly uh, calling a lot of people. We got to do something about this. We got to talk about this. The one person, you know, God, do I miss him, was Dick Gregory. Mm-hmm. And Dick Gregory, I called Dick, and, and Dick said, look, I'll be there tomorrow. He got on a plane. He actually flew. He read it. He, I mean, I guess he, he read it while on the plane or whatever. And and then he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to protest. We're going to picket the CIA. Um, and, uh, and, and this went on. And I talked about this whole CIA, Contra, uh, crack cocaine, 
epidemic that was going on at the time. We even, I even had a debate with Ali North, uh, and Larry King moderated this debate, and um, it was interesting. Uh, Ali North actually walked out of yeah. the debate because I had um, indictment papers that Costa Rica had on Ali North. He couldn't go back to the country. Amazing. Um, but but let me tell you the real quick funny story. Dick Gravy, we got arrested. The CIA arrested us. Uh, almost I think twice they arrested us. And one of the arrests, and only Dick Gregory could come up with this. He said before we go go back to the CIA, get some of this yellow crime tape, and also get me a a bag of flour. I said what? Okay, so we go to the gate of the CIA. Now, they were going to wait us out till it was dark. They weren't going to arrest us. And and what we did was, he said, let's stretch the crime tape in front of the gate of the CIA. And we did. So you had this yellow crime tape that said crime scene. Uh, and then he said, do you, you have that bag of flour? I said, yeah. He said, okay, here, spread the flour in front of the gate. And we did. Well, they brought out dogs to sniff the, the flower. And Dick said, Joe, the only thing those dogs are going to be able to do with that is make biscuits. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as if it was like cocaine. Man, I, I miss Dick Gregory, too. I, I traveled with him across Europe. We spent time in Germany. We, we traveled to Uganda together. He was such a wonderful man. And I know he was oh, one of God. your closest friends. And, 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 I, and I tell you, when I decided to do the hunger strike, that he was the one I thought of. Yeah. I know I hear your music, yeah. uh, but I got to tell you, it took 11 years to do this. And you motivated me to do this. You know, you kept saying, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. I, I just didn't know how difficult Well, you did is. a brilliant I job. Wanna, I want to thank you for motivating me. Well, thank you, Joe. You did a brilliant job. Hang on just a second. Listening to the Tom Hartman Program. The book is Radioactive, a memoir of advocacy and action on the air and in the streets by the great Joe Madison, available wherever you find great books. Joe, thanks so much. Thank you. A couple of things here I just wanted to flag for you. Number one, Roger Stone has a plan to put Donald Trump back in power. And yes, he's promoting this all over the country. And yes, there's a whole bunch of people picking up on it. His plan is, number one, in the election this fall, Republicans take back the House of Representatives. That's actually likely to happen. Number two, Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the, of the uh, Republicans in the House, says, you know, the Speaker of the House does not need to be a member of the House of Representatives, which, by the way, is true. And so I'm going to make Donald Trump the Speaker of the House. He doesn't actually have to do anything. We'll do all the actual legislating and showing up because we know he doesn't like to work. He just wants to play golf. But we'll make him Speaker of the House in title only. Now, the Constitution says that after the president and the vice president are no longer uh, capable of you know, being in office, the next person who becomes president is Speaker of the House. So step three, uh, and it especially works if they take the Senate as well, is to impeach both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and then guess who becomes president? Donald Trump. I'm not making this stuff up, folks, and they're raising money on the, oh, well, of course they are. I mean, you know, these people are all grifters. 
A couple of other just quick data points I wanted to share with you. The People's Convoy, the, the so-called Freedom Convoy in Washington, D.C., the truckers who are circling around the city. Somebody call in saying the truckers are getting, everybody's flipping them the bird, right? And Daily Beast uh, reporter Zachary Patrizio, in fact, captured a video of this. And uh, this is one of the truckers. He says, you go around the Beltway, birds are flying. Birds are flying everywhere. That's the kind of people who live up there in D.C. You know, it's a different world, D.C. It's a different world. Yeah, they're flipping off the truckers. So that was three days ago. There was a whole brand new one. This uh, Parisio, again, playing you know clips of this and whatnot on Twitter. This is from their CB radios. Six Antifa vehicles. Six Antifa vehicles. Keep your heads on a swivel. Antifa vehicles? Yeah, and when cars drive by and flip these truckers the bird for slowing down traffic because of freedom or something, that must be Antifa. And the final thing I wanted to share with you is that uh, Ron DeSantis HB 741 just passed the Florida legislature, and it's uh, now on DeSantis's desk. He's almost certainly going to sign it this week. Uh, this is legislation that was, uh, according to this report uh, by uh, April Cease over at Daily Kos, was written in part by Florida Power and Light lobbyists who have donated tens of thousands of dollars to Ron DeSantis's uh, campaign for governor and whatnot. And what this legislation will do at its most extreme, is basically give the Public Service Commission, once the state receives, once the, once the state hits a threshold, 6.5% of all the energy in the state is being created by solar, it will allow the Public Service Commission to start charging people who are generating their own solar. Yes, you put solar panels on your house, you put batteries in your garage, you think you're independent. Oh, no, we can charge you for that electricity because we're the utility who gives money to Ron DeSantis. And in the meantime, if you are feeding some of your electricity back into the grid, you're going to see a 50% cut in your energy usage credit. In other words, he's trying to kneecap the solar industry in Florida. Of all places, Republicans are trying to kneecap the solar industry in Florida. It's amazing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Picking up your phone calls here, George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind? Hello, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. A brief remark before I get to my point. Do you know what the difference is between Ukrainians and Republicans? I don't. Ukrainians defend their capital. Huh. Good point, George. That's a good one. So what's on your yeah. mind? Well, in the past, from time to time, you've talked about the overwhelming share of the load in defeating the Germans in World War II that was borne by the Russian people. Correct. And there's no disputing that. But I've done a bit of digging around on that and found that a great deal of that was inflicted on the Russian people by their leadership. Uh, just by as Stalin, a you mean? Of 
not just Stalin, but the Russian Civil War killed off a lot of the professional officer corps. The Trotskyite officers were purged in the 20s. Other officers were purged in the 30s and even into the early 40s without rhyme or reason, just so Stalin could terrorize everybody. Well, also, uh, a lot Stalin of, was clinically paranoid. I mean, he was he was constantly imagining conspiracies around him and, and killing people right. to stop conspiracies that didn't even exist. Exactly. And that that means by definition that he was not an effective wartime leader. He had no uh, training or instincts as, as, a, as a general. Yeah, and he was mentally uh, ill. In addition, fully 20% of all the war material, every kind of supply, munition, uh, tank, airplane you can think of, was supplied from outside of the Soviet Union. Soviet Union could not have survived without the bravery of Allied sailors and merchant seamen who made the long runs to Murmansk, uh, in, you know, running the gauntlet of German submarines, and a lot of them went to a, a watery grave in, in the cold waters of the Arctic. My father was one of those sailors who made the run to Murmansk. Wow. But uh, we made things for the Russians like uh, the C-47, and we actually gave them the plans and the blueprints so they could build those themselves, and they continued to build them into the 60s and not pay Douglas Aircraft any royalties. We supplied them with 100,000 Studebaker trucks that they could tow their artillery pieces with, which made a force multiplier so they could fight two or three battles in a day with the same artillery piece moving from place to place. Um, the P-39 Era Cobra, the Russian pilots loved it for busting German tanks. But they spend lives like we would spend pennies. Just in the final attack on Berlin, they lost 200,000 men killed. And they had an institution called Battle Police who followed behind the frontline soldiers and shot anybody who wasn't, shall we say, energetic enough about attacking. And that was what a lot of the death was, was shot by their own troops. Yeah, the and, Nazis were doing the exact same right, thing in the last exactly. few weeks of the war. And now today we see that Russians still don't regard their own troops very highly. They send them into battle in poorly maintained vehicles, undertrained, uh, lie to them and tell them they're just going on maneuvers when they're actually going to war, supply them with rations that expired 5, 10, 15, or even 20 years ago. Some rations were labeled 2002. Yep. And Putin it just seems to be carrying on a long tradition of the Russian military. George, I would suggest that that's not unique to Russia, that this isn't something that's embedded in the culture, the soul, or even the DNA of people from that region, um, that this is what you get when you don't have a democracy, you know, apropos of my opening rant today, that the wisdom of the crowd has been lost, that when you have an autocracy or an oligarchy or a, or a, a despotic other, you know, depending on what you want to call it, despotic form of government, you know, it's all up to the despot. And if the despot is, is you know, a terrible person, you're going to have terrible outcomes. You know, whether it's Napoleon in France or whether it's, it's uh, or, 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 you know, one, multiple Caesars. I mean, Augustus is probably the, the worst example in the, in the history of the Roman Empire, but, um, uh, or Caligula. But, uh, you know, this is, this, is a pro this is the problem that democracy seeks to solve, is to crowdsource decisions 
and 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 provide you know a broad consensus on on what needs to be done and how. I realize you can't always do that. You can't even at, at, at all do that during a time of war, but you can do that in the decisions that lead up to the war. Um, and that's why the, the first three words of our Constitution are so important. We, yes. the people. Amen. The sovereignty rests with us, not with some dictator or handful of oligarchs. Amen. I got it. I'm with you. George, thank you very much for the call. Rachel in Park Ridge, Illinois. Hey, Rachel, what's on your mind? Yes. Hello, sir. Pleasure to hear your voice. Talk to you real briefly. So one of your previous callers, is, you guys were talking about what to call Republicans who like Putin and support Putin and call them strong and smart and everything. Call them Putin-crats. Putin-crats. C-R-A-T-S. Putin-crats. Yeah, but that sounds more like Democrats than Republicans. Although, I know. I know. Yeah. But just... Putin-cons doesn't, doesn't quite sound... It doesn't roll off the tongue. But, yeah. Okay. Well, your your vote is registered, Rachel. Thanks for the call, Chris in San Francisco. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind? Yeah, hey, Tom. Listen, I sent you an uh, email earlier in the week, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to you. Um, on the fifteenth of the month, uh, Frontline had their program, and it showed a, uh, a film of um, Putin asking his supposed consultation group whether or not they should go to war. So right. in the room. A massive white marble room. He was sitting maybe 30, 40 feet away from all these people. And they were arranged on little school kids' chairs uh, in front of him. And each and every one of them had to individually come up to a podium and explain to Putin why he should go to war with Ukraine. Well, the point I would like to make, and I'd like to encourage you and everybody else to take a look at this film, is how terrified every one of those people were that they would misspeak. At one point, one of his people did, in fact, misspeak. Minor misspoke. But anyway, he savaged this guy. I mm -hmm. mean, savaged. And the guy was obviously afraid he was going to be killed or something. I mean, he, would, he looked terrified. I wanted to bring that to your attention. Maybe that'll yeah. give you some idea of how that was. Was that the leader of the FSB who he now has under house arrest? I believe he was. Yeah. I mean, he's arrested the, the leader of the FSB, which is the, the, you know, this era's version of the KGB. Um, he's arrested uh -huh. him. He's arrested his number two guy, the FSB, the number two guy in the FSB. He's uh, apparently arrested a number of his generals, of his top generals and other intelligence officials. He's, I mean, his, his proclamation yesterday sounded to me like, you know, basically genocide, like ethnic, ethnic cleansing kind of language. You know, we're going... We're going to, like, the, 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 these traitors in Russia are like a gnat that flew into your mouth and you need to spit it out. I think probably the thing that really triggered him was that young woman on Russian television, Maria Avsanikova, who, you know, held up the sign you're being lied to. I mean, uh, that has gone around the world, and she is now in prison. And, uh, it's a good video. It, it's enlightening. It's a great example of live by the sword, die by the sword, too. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for the call. Good to hear from you. Appreciate it. Appreciate the call. David in uh, Cannon Beach, Oregon. Hey, David, what's up? Hi, Tom. Uh, I got a lot to say, but I'll just try to keep it concise before you cut me off. Last week, there was a call from Jerry in like Long Beach, California, and his voice was like mine, very tense and scared and everything. And he made the points with you that we basically need to retrench, that, that Russia's won Ukraine, that, that there's no good 
you were going back and forth with him with arguments saying, well, you've got to punch a bully in the nose. And then Jerry was saying, yeah, but time, because the bully only gets stronger if you let him win. And Jerry's saying in a very tight voice, I'd actually go back and listen to it. He's so scared. He's saying, Tom, he's got nukes. He's, not, he's already strong. And so I support Jerry's position that we need to retrench, just give Putin the win. And, you know, like you say, keep out of Moldova, Finland, and all that. Just retrench because, like you yeah, say, what you're saying, David, is exactly what Neville Chamberlain was saying in 1938. Look how that turned out. Okay, again, he's got nukes. Go listen to Jerry's call. He said, Tommy. Yeah, he's got nukes. Head. And Germany at the time had a military that was capable of utterly destroying England. And or the United Kingdom, and you know, without nukes, but they could have they could have leveled the country. They, in fact, they tried to. And okay, I, well, I, I really, you, I really think that even if you. a bully has nukes, you have to take them on. We can't, we can't just say, okay, the new world order is whoever has the most nuclear weapons gets to do whatever the hell they want. You just can't can do that. We can retrench at Moldova. We can say this is the red line. Now, retrench is another word for surrender. You're surrendering that land. You're, you want to give up Ukraine, David. I'm not willing to. I'm, I'm not willing to go there. Okay, fine, fine. But please reconsider after the phone call. After you slap me down. After we've agreed to disagree. I'm just asking you, for the sake of the future of the planet, do you reconsider retrenching at NATO and giving a do-over? Because this is what Biden did. He made a mistake. Right now, uh, no, I don't think Biden has made any mistakes in this regard. In fact, I'm astonished at how well he's handled this. Right now, Russia is losing. Putin is freaking out. He's firing his generals. He's arrested the head of the FSB. He's talking about purging people within Russia. He's putting people in prison for 15 years for holding, a, you know, grandmothers for holding a blank piece of paper in, in Red Square. This is a man who is losing. And when your He's opponent is losing, man. that's He's not the man. point at yeah. which you say, okay, fine, good luck, do, do what you want. Yes, yeah, so he has nukes. We all know that, David. This is not so about nuclear war. He is, he is not suicidal. He is not going to use a nuke on Kiev. Yeah. Then no. What do we do? What, what if he keeps asking? Well, that, that's a very good question. And I don't know what we do if he uses a nuke on Kiev. But he hasn't right now. He's trying to do conventional warfare. And we are, uh, we, Ukraine is beating him right now. Now is, is not the time for Americans to be running around going, oh, well, just, just give it all to Putin. You know, uh, uh, David, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't go there with you. Brian in Orlando. Hey, Brian, we only have about 45 seconds. It says here you're a Republican. I hope you can call another time. We have more time. But you want to make a point? Well, sure. Actually, I'd love to actually be a guest on your show. Uh, my name is Brian, and I was a candidate against Joel Greenberg here in Florida, Seminole County in 2020. And I am a lifelong Republican, and I do see the criminal enterprise element within my own party. However, what I really ultimately wanted to say, I'm very concerned with our two silos. I actually yeah. think it's contributing to destroying Brian, I, I'm sorry I have to cut you off, but I share some of your concern. Yeah. And if you want to talk about it, reach out to Sean Taylor, our producer. Her, her information is on our website. Brian, I got to run, Sounds but great. thank you for the call. Uh, in fact, actually, I'll put you on hold and you can talk to Joyce and she can get your information. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's been a fascinating day. We'll be back same time, same place. Be good to yourself and the people around you and pray for peace in the world. huh? You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.